Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast. Welcome to the Investories Podcast with me, your host, John Hooper, and Kyle Robertson. Kyle. Co-host. Co-host. I like it. Yeah. Happy 4th of July. Is it? That was two days ago. Well, yeah, but it's, time doesn't mean anything. Did you have a good 4th of I think July? It, I think it means something. I had a great 4th of July. Yeah, we bought a bunch of illegal fireworks, which was great because you can't shoot anything off the ground in Oregon. So uh, <laughs> the majority of the population will head north to Washington to all you criminals up there in that state that uh, have the cool fireworks. So you smu- and, uh, for the 4th of July, you smuggled things we smuggled things across the border yeah i'm i'm throwing a crime right out there land of the, the free airways, so land of the free well it's funny because uh in our in our little town i mean we we live outside of town and uh it's it just sounded like d-day i mean it wow. was insane because you know the majority of oregon goes to washington i'm sure they've got a hell of a of a fireworks economy up there just thanks to the oregon population but uh yeah they go up there and buy all these you know, mortars uh, Roman candles, the bottle rockets, all the stuff that everybody around the country uses. You can't have that in Oregon. Why? It's not allowed to leave the ground because it starts there. Freighters are going to start fires and, uh, you know, red flag warnings and things like that. And it's true. They, they do. I mean, I, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it's, you know, this is our childhood. We used to do that kind of stuff. It's fun. And, and so we grabbed some of that stuff. My kids got to see the stuff in the air for the first time ever. And, uh, it was a lot oh, of fun. That's cool. How about you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. As a Brit, I just relaxed and kept my head down, celebrating uh, Give Back America Day. <laughs> Give Back America. Oh, I love it. Red coats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate. I it, wore John. a red jacket. <laughs> yeah. Now we had treason? we had some people the over, tre- day. hung out. Um, it was all fun and games. My little one ran into the side of the the fridge, I think, which was kind of funny. Oh no. Yeah, she was. Oh. She was pretty upset about that. Uh, but so yeah, but it's pretty funny. No, yeah. and then we just we hung out. We got a, we, we have a deck, so we sat on the deck and saw saw a few fireworks. So it's it kind of chill, kind of relaxing. I did go for a run Excellent. first thing in the morning, and my god, it looked like Camp Bastion down around the around the beach of San Diego. What's Camp Bastion? Oh, it's the the big camp in Afghanistan where they had all these tents oh. set up. Un- oh, unbelievable! Gotcha. So many people stayed overnight, which is also illegal in San Diego. Oh. Criminals yeah. down there too. I mean, I phoned the police, but they weren't they weren't interested. Uh, no, so people would set up volleyball courts, everything. It was oh, like sounds like fun. Real estate one hundred and one. Just grab a piece of land and start building, right? So uh, yeah, it's like homesteading all over again. That's great. <laughs> so that was cool. Yeah. So um, anyway, back to investories. And hey, yeah. Quick, quick prompt to everyone: if you could give us a five star review on iTunes, we would absolutely love that. Celebrate the fourth by giving us a five star review. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know does that fit that's, and also plug, check, I guess. check yeah. us out on youtube we are growing on youtube it takes me ages to do the video so it's worth just saying well done subscribing we have a few subscribers now which is kind of cool hey. and liking and um i think you can hit a bell notification and it will tell you when a new episode is posted um so you get i guess you get a little bit more feedback same great content uh from us but if you could do that it really is a ton of uploading just think of the bandwidth that we're using just to upload videos. <laughs> um, so that would be super, super helpful. 
And um, yeah, so I guess uh, without further ado, the um, the episode today is uh, is with Scott Jelinek. Scott is kind of an interesting story. He's been investing for I think thirty years. Uh, he's kind of rode out the recession, and it's kind of changed his whole viewpoint in how he invests and what he invests in. It's it's kind of a fascinating conversation to kind of dig into that and that contrarian mindset, right, Kyle? I I think that's not yeah. controversial. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, as I, I told him after we got done recording that it was a refreshing conversation because his mindset on a lot of this stuff, when we talked a lot of things about debt, about, you know, leverage and the problems that can come along with it. And he has pivoted his portfolio to a debt-free structure, except for private or, uh, you know, private money financing that he uses for the purchase uh, but there's such short-term high-interest loans that they're they're paid off in a short amount of time, and I'll, I'll let him explain exactly what his structure is. But it, this is a great episode for people who are considering the risks of bank loans, of over-leveraging, of getting yourself in a position where when the economy does tank, because it will and it always does, what do you do? And and kind of pay attention to the way that he learned his lessons. And, and really take something from that because I'm kind of in the same position where it's like I, I'm trying my very best not to just be so focused on growth that I over leverage myself and set myself up for, for failure. And, and, and Scott goes through that and, and explains it in such a, a, a fantastic way that it's really easy to understand. So pay attention to that. Yeah, it's familiar from 08, right? Over leveraging, taking yeah. out too much loans. We've, we've, even if you're not a, a, an investor, and it's just your your house, you know. That's something we've considered. Should we get a HELOC? Maybe not. Actually, maybe now isn't the time to take out further financing on our home to to invest. Um, so, it, it, yeah, I I really dig the the mindset piece of that and and kind of yeah. how he got to that that viewpoint. But anyway, enough of my waffling. And without further ado, here's Scott. Welcome to the Investories Podcast, Scott Jelinek. Hey, Scott. How are you today? Good. I should be asking, how are you? Thanks for joining I'm us. I'm fantastic. Glad to be here. <laughs> so Scott has, uh, well, hundreds of properties. Um, he's been investing for, for 30 years. And um, I'm really interested on the uh, the kind of latest endeavor. I don't know if we can still say latest. It's It's been a while, but the slow flip process. Um, there's another bit in your bio that was super interesting, which is, and I guess we're all kind of looking back is the kind of leading out from the the last recession and kind of lessons learned. So we really want to get into that as well, Scott. So thank you for for joining us. John, I got to tell you something funny. And this just happened the other day. I and I don't know how long you've been investing, but I talk about the the crash like it was yesterday all the time. And, you know, it's deep in my heart. Right. Well, someone just the other day said to me, Scott, you know, that was 15 years ago. Right. And I had to do them. I'm like, wow, you're right. That is 15 years. I feel like it was yesterday. And it's amazing how ingrained it is in me that I have lessons learned that doesn't matter what's going on in the market. They will they will not change. So, Scott, let's let's talk about that. Like, what was your route into investing? What did that look like? So I got started, um, I was a landscaper, and back then, uh, this is early, I, started, I bought my first house in 1994. Back then, they had a thing called non-qualifying assumptions, and I don't know if you know about them or remember them. They did away with them in 87 for FHA and 89 for VA, but what it meant was anybody, no credit, no job, no anything, could assume your mortgage if you worked out a deal with the seller. Much like a sub two is now, but with the bank's blessing. The bank, you literally had a closing, and the bank put the mortgage in your name. 
And so I bought that house and then short and I had no interest in real estate. I bought it to live in. And shortly after, another house on the block came up for sale for less than half the amount down. And I didn't know values. I didn't know anything other than I paid five grand down. This one said two grand down and I felt like I got ripped off. And so then I decided, let me buy that one also. Right. And that was my first start in real estate where every month my tenant would pay me and I would pay the mortgage. And it was constantly negative. I'm like, I borrowed the money. They're paying it off. I borrowed it. They're paying it off. And I became obsessed with, you know, I, I, I want to buy as many as I can and just wait out time. That was my whole plan. Just wait out. Back then, you're taking over a 30-year mortgage. You might have been six, seven years in. And it was just, let me just wait out time. And eventually, I'll be rich. And that was the plan. You know, and, um, you know, and then, you know, things evolved and grew and grew and grew. And then we had some changes in the market and came up with a new plan. <laughs> the, the fundamentals are sound, right? Buy a property, get someone else to pay it off, and then buy another Indeed. one. Yep, absolutely. Like so absolutely. You're, you're ex-army, right, Scott? Yep, I was in the army back way back in the first Gulf War. So was that a so was there like a transition from army to landscaping to investor entrepreneur? Is how does that work? So I had no viable skills that I can use outside of the army when I got out. I used to actually I still lived on Long Island at the time. I used to walk the beach and sell sodas. And uh, and I loved it. You know, I would I would make about two hundred bucks a day, and I just walked around ice cold soda, Pepsi, Diet Pepsi, and I you know, and I sold sodas on the beach, and I loved it. And then my mother had moved to Virginia Beach, and my plan was to do the same thing. I'm thinking, well, we'll go into a place with beach in its name, right? I'll sell sodas here. I don't know if you've ever been to Virginia Beach, but our beach is tiny here. I mean, it's long, but it's thin, and there's hotels and restaurants, very unlike Jones Beach in New York. And so there was no business here doing that, and so. I uh, was like, well, what am I going to do to make any money? And, you know, I still tell people literally 30 years later, if anybody who complains they can't find work, I'm like, listen, anybody can grab a lawnmower and go knock on doors where you see high grass and make a living. Anybody could. And that's and that's exactly how I got started. I started mowing lawns. It's interesting because we we have a lot of investors on here. We have a lot of real estate and brokers on here and people from all walks of life. And I think what kind of narrows down everybody's not everybody, but a lot of the people that we have on here typically go back to some sort of a sales background. Yeah. Now, do you can, this is an interesting question that I, I like asking people. I don't know. I've asked it so much on this podcast, but do you consider yourself a salesman? And is that important? Is, do you consider that yeah. an important aspect in your real estate investing career? So in the slow flips that we do, I guess it still applies in the slow flips. Not as much though, but in whole, I also wholesale. And so in wholesaling, I go on appointments. We go, we call them buy call appointments. I go on appointments and sit in someone's living room and go over the process to, to do a contract, in which case it is a thousand percent sales. And when I teach, I also teach literally step by step the sales process, even though in that case we're a buyer, it's still sales. And so, yeah, 1000%, I think sales, I think, and you, you mentioned that you see everybody is in sales who you see doing this. I think everybody's in sales, whether they're doing this or anything else. It's just the <laughs> difference of whether you, whether you accept it and whether or not you're good at it and study it and learn it. But you're in yeah. sales, whether you like it or not, everybody's selling. Even if you're young and single and you're trying to get a girlfriend or a wife, you're, you're in sales, right? It's, it's really everybody's funny in that, sales. sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting you. No, I was not not talking about this, but. It's just, it's really interesting where most people don't realize that that's what they are. You know, you're trying to sell yourself. You're trying to right. sell your deal. If you're a buyer, you're trying to sell your LOI, trying to sell your, your, when you started talking about selling sodas back there on the beach, did you say, did you say Long Island? Is that what Jones Beach? Yeah. Yeah. Jones Beach. How in the world did you even come up with a business idea like that? Cause it's, it's interesting. Cause I'm constantly hearing from people, just random people. 
I'm looking for a side hustle. I'm looking at how do I make some extra money? How do I do this? How do I do that? I mean, you sell sodas on a boardwalk at a beach. I mean, that's just insane. Where did how you that came about is I was at the beach and I there's it's different than a lot of beaches. There's no infrastructure there, right? So you have to walk forever from your car. If you didn't bring it with you, you don't have it, right? And so a guy was walking around selling them and I bought them and it was $2 a can. And this was in the early 90s. And back then in the store, it was 25 cents a can. And I remember I'm like, man, they're making $2 a can. 25 cents. And so I started looking into, well, is it even legal? Are you allowed to just, I said, there's no regulation. You're not allowed to do it, but nobody's enforcing anything. And I'm like, well, this is great. All I do is, you know, buy a cooler, buy ice and spend my day at the beach. And I loved it. I'd make about 200 bucks a day. And I thought it was great. I'm going to get down the beach after that. I love that. And I'm, I am actually in sales. And what I'd say is you're not selling the soda. You're selling the feeling of an ice cold soda in your hand, drinking it. And uh, yeah. that kind of outcome. <laughs> But that's what we're doing in real estate, right? You're selling a, you know, a property, you're selling an investment fund, and you're selling the outcome of that, whether it's from an investor or a tenant that's going to move in, you're selling the, their, their part of that dream. Um, right. And my, my business that we've evolved to, which we call slow flips, the whole pitch with slow flips, why people get into it is we sell it's freedom. We're not, I no longer talk about people about making a bazillion dollars and buying Lamborghinis and any of that. I'm all about setting yourself free, having a number to set yourself free. And that's literally what I sell to my people is forget all of that. Not to say you can't still want that or still do it after, but right now your number one goal is to set yourself free. Then you can figure out what you want to be next. So but freedom really- has to be number one. I really want to ask about slow flips, but first I want to kind of do the, the 15 year time travel back if I had a DeLorean or a Lamborghini um, and, and pop back and, and really understand kind of a lot of people don't remember that period. Carl, I don't think you you remember that period as an investor, right? What's that? The, the 2008 crash. Uh, yeah, I, I had a I had two uh, two investment properties, and I was a real estate broker and lost my ah, job yeah, because yeah. of it. <laughs> so I have I still have fond nightmares of that uh, of that time. <laughs> fond nightmares. Yeah. I love that. But if if you can, Scott, what what did that look like going into that and coming out the other end? What did that look like? And I think particularly around the kind of the the mental fortitude to kind of process and keep going. I know Kyle's talked to that and a little I- bit. I'm going to explain it to you, but I don't know if it was fortitude other than lack of options. So I'm going to take you back to 2001. Up until 2001, I I acquired about 20 properties, all Virginia Beach, non-qualifying assumptions, and they were great properties and they were all rented. In 2001 was the first time since I started in 94 that we had any appreciation. So suddenly these houses I was buying, I was paying 65 for now worth 80 and 90. And so I started becoming real interested in other ends of real estate. And I went to all the seminars and I read the books and I got all involved with these real estate groups. And everybody was teaching basically that I was an idiot with my first 20 houses that you need to pull out that equity. You have, you know, all this money and equity on each one, pull it out and you can buy more. And so I did. And I met with these mortgage people and I refinanced all my houses and I pulled out 50, 80 grand on each of them and bought more houses. Kept doing that. And I started wholesaling and other stuff in the interim until 2007. I had 84 properties in 2007. And, you know, and I know everybody always says 2008. And I'm like, I assure you it was 2007. I have my QuickBooks to prove it. But in 2007, instantly, it was like overnight, you know, overnight. Probably 30, 40% of my people stopped paying. And it wasn't their fault. Like everybody thinks just real estate was hurt. It didn't matter what industry you were within, everybody got hurt. Even good people that were great payers, people didn't have jobs anymore. People stopped paying. I had 84 houses. I also had 84 mortgages. 
So I was making all this money prior and now I'm losing it. Twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a month I'm losing. And I continued to lose until I ran. I had almost just under a million dollars in cash saved at the time. And I felt like, well, let me weather the storm. This has to end. It can't keep going, right? It has to end. And I, I, you know, in hindsight, I wish I stopped in the beginning, but I did. I fought the good fight. And once I ran out of money, I, um, you know, you know what came next. I lost about 55 of them to foreclosure. And, you know, I always say that was tough on anybody to lose a house, right? But it was especially tough on me. I had an escalator on the side said, stop foreclosure. <laughs> my phone number, you know, it, that was, we were all about stop foreclosure. We buy houses. And, and so it was, it was tough. Most people that were in business back then, in my business, went back to their previous lives. They went back to their job at IBM, went back to whatever they were doing. They had a great five years, you know, in the boom, and then went back to their previous lives. I didn't have a previous life. I was mowing lawns, and now I had this big lifestyle, and I'm like, well, if I'm looking for a job, and I thought about it, you know, what can I do? I said, I have to get a job like as a brain surgeon or something. I said, I'm a high school dropout. I said, nobody's hiring me as a brain surgeon. And so I kept, like, I have to figure this out because I can't, I have this big lifestyle now. I have these cars and the house and my wife and kid. And I'm like, well, I have, you know, we have to figure it out. One of the things that I did, which in hindsight was like the smartest thing I've ever done is I started looking at the people who were doing well. Some, you know, a lot of people got crushed. Most people got crushed. Most everybody got crushed and went back to their previous lives. But some people were still killing it more than ever. And so, and a lot of them were the older guys. They were my lenders, my hard money lenders. And the, the, you know, the guys that I knew all along and during the boom, I'm thinking, man, these guys are stupid. They need, they can make so much more if, right? Well, after the bust, they were like waiting for it. They, you know, and they were killing it. And so in conversations, one of the things I realized across the board with all of them, and I know this is controversial to everybody, everybody hates this, but they owned everything free and clear, everything. Every everything they they had, you know, I'm driving in a Cadillac XLR convertible, 105,000 I spent on it. I have two Escalades. They're pulling up in a Honda Accord. They're the ones loaning me the money, right? They're pulling up in a Honda Accord. They have their houses. They might have only had 20, 30 houses, but they own them all free and clear. Good times, bad times, it don't matter. Every month they got another 30 grand on the first or whatever the number was. And if nobody paid, if there was a hard time, well, it didn't cost them anything. They just had lost revenue. It didn't, they're not at risk of losing anything. And it really resonated with me because it wasn't one or two. It was everybody who was still doing well was, was living by that exact same principle. And now we haven't had ever since anybody who started now. And, and that's funny because when I say this, people love to argue with me. So I don't argue. I always just say, you're right. You're right. Anybody who started from 2009 on, 2008 even on, they, they've never seen anything different. It's been straight up, straight up, right? And mind you, it may stay that way another 50 years. And they'll be like, man, that Scott guy was stupid because we made a bazillion dollars and he could have made so much more, right? So anybody who started from then on doesn't see any different side of it, which is why, I, you know, people say, Scott, it's been 15 years, you know, get over it. And, uh, but I'm not, I'm not starting over again. I'm too old now, right? So, so I've restructured everything to where I, I completely am free and clear now. My house, my cars, every, you know, I'm all about free and clear. But with my properties, you know, you can't buy free and clear unless you have $20 million to start, right? So, so we do a hybrid where I do finance them with private money, but I do them on short-term mortgages, usually five years. And that's it. And so, yeah, it was, it was devastating. So, and and I, I, there's so much gold in, in what you were talking about just now and so many different points that I really hope that people were paying attention to because it, I can't tell you how many times we've, we've talked about on this show Leverage, 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 you know, and, and, and not just us, man, it's, it's the everybody. Pockets community. It's, 
it's anybody who's under the age of 40 who's like you said been in this game for you know less than 15 years they think that you know this is the way to grow because that's what the quote gurus are telling everybody to do and i think you know this this what's going on right now i don't know if we've seen the end of it nobody does there's lots of speculation if if this is the end of the recession or if we're going to have a soft landing blah 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 we we don't know nobody knows but the stagnation of real estate is a real thing. You know, it, it really can stagnate, but nobody wants to believe that because it hasn't happened in their investing careers. And then you, when I look to the guys, like you were talking about the older guys, the guys that have been around for a little while and I see 50% leverage or less or 0% leverage. And these guys are sitting back drinking their Mai Tais, retiring out to Palm Springs. You know, it's like, look, number one, they put their time in, they earned their stripes, probably took some licks like yourself. And they, they learned from it. And here you are with your with your portfolio paid off. You're not exposed to the banks. You really can become slaves to leverage. And when, yeah, when bad times happen, you, those are the ones, those are the people that get crushed. And so that's, that is such a huge point. I wish that people could start looking out of both eyes as if that's the right, the right term to say and, and, and think, okay, yes, use the, use. Yeah, it is now. <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and use leverage appropriately and responsibly. But then know when to say when. And, and I, I was talking on this podcast not that long ago. Gosh, if I had my properties paid off, the amount of cash flow I would have would just be stupid. Just a stupid amount of cash flow. It, it but is. I, but they're not paid off. And I don't have a stupid amount of cash flow, which is sad. But now my wife and I have been having a lot of conversations. Is it time to pivot? And so did it take 2008 for you to realize it was time for me to pivot or 2007, and as, as you said, to, that it's time for me to pivot and, and quit doing this and go to these short-term loans and how hard was that to change your mindset? It wasn't hard. It was not hard to change the mindset because I was floundering, right? I was floundering and I'm looking at who's doing well. And I'm a, I teach this as well. I always teach people. I said, listen, you don't have to invent anything. Look at somebody who's doing what you want and do that, right? It's not rocket science. And right. so I realized, okay, the guys who were safe and secure and doing great, good market, bad market, this is what they did. So I didn't need to be convinced any further of that. What I did have a problem with, though, is I lost a ton of houses to foreclosure. So how do you think my credit was, right? Crap. I had no income all of 2007, almost all of 2008. I had zero income. So I have no taxes to show. So I can't qualify for anything. To this day, we're doing this now in 2023. I have not used a bank for anything since 2007, anything. So what happened is now prices started coming down and their deals I'm like salivating over. I would love to buy this, but simultaneously, I'm dead to the banks. So which is what kind of started to percolating with, well, how can I do this? How can I buy them and use private money, obviously, but I don't want to be in debt, but I still don't have any money now. So I have to borrow and get them paid off. And so I did all kinds of calculations till I came up with the number and the number. And I know if you're in California and both of you guys in California and in Oregon, when I, when you hear these numbers, you're going to be like, you're insane. These numbers don't exist. But I always tell people, I said, just use the internet. They exist. We, we were buying houses at $30,000 and financing them for five years at 12% interest we're paying. We still pay 12% interest, but that makes your payment 667.33, and that's amortized. There's no balloon. And then I'm simultaneously selling them for, back then it was for 89,000. Now the same house we're getting 199, but for 89,000 for 30 years and collecting 875 a month. And so it was all just cash flow. We weren't making anything for five years. You know, after taxes and insurance, we're not making anything. But then after five years, it's all ours. And, um, and so it was a struggle. You have to suffer through those first five years, but I'm like, I'd rather suffer for five years than be on a, on a house of cards for the rest of my life. And 
you know, so it was a, it was a, a risk and a struggle the first five years. You're like, is this worth it? Am I doing the right thing? You know, cause you're not making any money. You're buying all these houses. But as soon as we hit the 61st month, all of a sudden you, you're like, ah, it was right. The way I had it in my head was right. And, uh, I, and I'm, curious. I'm curious, I, I, this is really interesting that the five-year, you know, you're fully amortized for a five-year term. So are you actually, I understand that these purchase price, these price points are far lower than what we're typically, you know, doing on in the coastal states, but you know, at, are you, do you have to have a significant amount of reserves in order to, to weather those storms? You know, you know, one payment missed on a, you know, 30 year amortization for a $90,000 for, I'm sorry, for a five year amortization on a $90,000 house. I, I mean, are you, are you dipping into quite a bit of reserves? Is this, I could imagine this would be a, be a lot of brain damage thinking about, holy crap, I'm going to yeah. lose, lose my butt on this, right? Zero. And I'll explain to you why. So first off, we won't buy a 90,000. The math has to work. The highest we typically go will be 50. Um, now I have houses, there's, there's two sides to this. I have houses all the way up to 875 that we still do this with, but we don't, we do the buy side and the sell side, right? But the slow flip is both sides, the paying them off and selling them on 30 years. So the reason I say zero reserves is because when we sell them, we get three to $5,000 down. Again, today's numbers are higher, but I always try and use the lower numbers because those, we don't know what happens tomorrow, right? So three to $5,000 down. And then there's a tiny bit of cash flow per month. Maybe it's a hundred, 150. But the way I teach my people is I say, you put that money in the bank and you don't get it until the house is paid off. Meaning that 3,000, that 5,000 sits there. The extra hundred, $200 a month sits there until it's paid off, which is the opposite of what everyone teaches. I know everybody loves to teach to live on the spread. I teach the opposite. I, I tell people and people hate to hear this. I say, you do not deserve to make a dollar off your house until it's free and clear. Because until then, it's not your house. It's the bank's house. And you have a job working for the bank, right? Your job is to, to do all the work and then send the money up to them. So until you fulfilled your job, which is paying it off, that money's not yours. And, you know, and I know technically it is yours, but that's the way I teach them. And this way, it takes away from what you just said, Kyle, that pressure and struggle. What happens if a tenant doesn't pay? What happens if there's an eviction? Well, now I got five or six or seven payments there. So if it takes me six weeks to get them out or two months to get them out and I'm vacant another month, there's no pressure on me that I have to come up with this money in between. And then you collect another three or five grand down and now you're off to races again moving forward. So is that privately financed, that five-year term? All private lenders, correct. It has to be private lenders because banks, the reason this opportunity exists banks, this, there's, there's a hole in the marketplace, right? These lower end housing, the sellers need cash to sell. They, they need the money to move on to their next place. But the buyers who are buying these need financing to buy. They don't have the cash. And so we step in the middle. We give them their cash. Even doesn't mean it's our cash. We give them their cash and we give them their financing. So we just step in the middle and fulfill that need, which is there. The buyers need the financing. The sellers need the cash. So you, I think this is probably the the, the tactics of the the slow fit, the f slow flip, the kind of the the flow of it. I guess. I guess yep. I'm trying to understand. Are you? Is it kind of like a lease to own model, or is it the five year runs and then it's a sale for the thirty year fixed term? We sell it from day one. We do it through a land. Some states call it a land contract, a contract for Got deed, it. agreement for deed. Um, we do not do a lease option or a rent to own. And I, I did in the beginning, and then I learned some valuable lessons that most of what everyone teaches is not correct. Um, I learned that in court. You know, everyone teaches, oh, put in the contract. They're responsible for everything. Well, it is in the contract, but the judge says no. It's a lease. <laughs> And the law says you're responsible. And um, so I met with an attorney and I said, well, this is what the judge just told me. What do we got to do? And he went over and revised my contracts and made it so we're in compliance with all the laws, but not landlords. We are the, the judge's words were the benefits and burdens must convey together. 
with a with the lease option, I'm keeping the benefit and giving them the burden, right? And um, so so we we made it so the benefits and burdens convey together. They have all the benefits of ownerships and all the burdens of ownership. And um, so it's it, they are fine. We do we don't give them balloons. Our people get a really good deal too, mind you. They don't have balloons. They never have to refi. They have the same payment, and then they eventually are paying it off. So it's a it's a win all the way around. Our lenders win. We win. Our buyers win. And uh, everybody wins in the process. So perhaps you can talk us through a, a typical deal and the process breakdown. I think before that, I want to ask a question. I'm going to sneak two questions in, Kyle. Um, around how do you find these financing partners? What was the what was the private lenders? Of? Yeah, private lenders. Yeah. So I have a whole strategy, and and I love to teach private money because we do so well with um, raising money. That everybody starts off. I always say you start with friends and family, right? And the first thing out of everyone's mouth is, "Well, that's easy for you. I don't know anybody that has any money. Nobody in my family has any money. None of my friends have any money." And I agree, right? And if they did, they're certainly not letting you know about it, right? But so that's what people who are saying that. However, the reality is the money is out there. There is plenty of money that's earning, I used to say 1%, but now they're getting up there 4% in banks, right? That they would be happy to be earning 12% secured by real estate if you had a plan and program and knew what you were doing. And so that is what we teach them to start off by asking, starting with friends and family, but the way we do it, what stops most people, and if I ramble on too much, John, just let me know, because um, I will talk. I love real estate. I can talk about real estate forever. But the way we do it, what stops most people is their fear of rejection. They're like, well, I'm not going to ask them because I know they're going to say no anyway. And then why bother? They're going to tell me no. So the way we get around that is we never, first of all, we never ask. We offer an opportunity, right? We, we, don't, we never ask someone to loan. We offer an opportunity to make 12% on your money secured by real estate. But to take it a step further so you can't be rejected is we never offer it to them. So if I'm talking to you right now, John, I will offer it to you, but not to you. I will tell you about it, but I will ask you if you know anybody who might be interested in making a 12% return on their money secured by real estate. Really, I am talking to you. However, you can't tell me no because I'm not asking you to loan me anything. And we always want to maintain our program. And the way we do that is... I will keep asking you if you know anybody. And then when you say, John, you'll be like, well, I might be interested in that. Tell me about it. I said, not you. You're doing you're doing all this crypto stuff or you're doing your wherever. And, um, you know, you're doing Airbnbs, not you, but you may know somebody until you're saying, no, I might be interested. Tell me about it. And we do that. So we maintain the position in control. So it's our program, not asking, can you please loan me money? You know, we don't want to ever be in that position. So we maintain the conversation by offering an opportunity and not to them, but do they know somebody who might be interested in that opportunity? Interesting stuff. I, I am not the, uh, I'm not the guy that, that I, I'm, I'm that guy you described who doesn't like the rejection. So I've never actually asked anybody for money before. Um, yeah. I've gotten to the point must where be rejected, right? Eh, nobody likes to hear the no word. Right. I mean, and I, I'm one of those and, I've, uh, I've, I've bankrolled everything that I've got up to this point. And I've gotten, and I think every investor gets to that at some point, this point where I'm at, where it's like, you know, I've, I've deployed the majority of what I feel comfortable deploying what's next step for me. And for me, I think it's probably going to be, you know, heading that direction, whether it's partnerships, uh, raising private capital or, or something along those lines. Um, so when, when you do find this type of a person, I guess, how do you, this is kind of nuts and bolts of things. And it sounds like since you've run the academy that you're, you're okay explaining these things. Somebody says, let's say that same example, John says, oh, I might be interested in something like that. So what do you say next to him? Would do you, I mean, if they say, look, you know, I've got a retirement account, but I don't know what to do with it. You know, I've got some savings that I'm making 0.01 at Chase Bank with. 
So I guess what's next so that you don't sound too pushy because that would kind of alleviate some of the fears of these people asking for money that, you know, I don't, I, they don't want to be pushy. I, I don't want to be pushy. Right. I always make them come to me for it. I never ask anybody like, Oh, you're ready to go right now. I always say, well, we'll put you on a list. Cause I have a list of, you know, even when you have none, I say, well, if you, if you know for sure you want to do it, let me know how many, cause we do thirties or fifties. So back then it was all just thirties. And I say, well, let me know if you just want to do one or two or three, let me know how many you want to do. And I'll put you on the list. And then when we get to you, you know, I'll send you the deal. Basically the way we do it, same as any lender, we send it to the attorney. We'll give them your information as the lender. They create a note and deed of trust. You have the exact same protections as a bank would doing a mortgage. And you're the first and only note and deed of trust on the bank. You never give me any money. You wire it to the bank and the bank's going to send it to our seller. And um, and then starting the first of the next month, you start receiving your payment, 667.33 for 60 payments. It's really simple. I mean, it's it's and, it, and it's no lie. I mean, we're giving you the exact same protections a bank has, the same you know, people's natural question is going to be like, well, what happened? The first question anyone thinks, what happens if you don't pay, right? Or what's the worst case scenario? What what can go wrong? And, so, you know, so far to this date, we've been doing it since 2011. Plus, I have probably over 100 students who are using private money. Also, not one person has been a month late. It doesn't mean it can't happen tomorrow, right? And so I always take it a step further by saying, okay, because you can tell people all you want. I'll never default, right? Well, okay, I get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? So let's assume I get hit by a bus. So it's not me. It happened. And nobody wanted my houses and it all went bad. Well, then the same thing would happen that happens with a bank. They would they would put it into a foreclosure auction. And at auction, you know, we buy below market, obviously. And we also have been paying it down. It's on a five-year mortgage, so it gets paid down pretty aggressively. Whatever it sells for at auction, you don't get it all, but you get up to the amount of your balance plus any fees. And then any overage of that, I guess, would go to my estate if I got hit by a bus. And if it didn't sell at auction, you got the house, which would really be your best case scenario because now you got a house I went to, I found through my marketing and through my um, my work, that's what we do, and it got fixed up and you probably have a slow flip buyer in it. So, you know, I always tell them, I said, the worst case scenario for you is I pay perfectly and you only make 12%, which is, you know, what we agreed on. Not, not bad. Yeah, I like that. Okay, that's that's super useful. I think I'm, I'm with you, Kyle. I think fundraising fills me with dread, but it's something I, I feel like I need to learn and get good at. Um, the other thing is, John, is that after you do one or two or three, and even if your lender said they only want to do two or whatever, they had 60 grand they want to invest. It doesn't matter the amount. You'll find, and I've found since 2011, all of my lenders have stemmed from my existing lenders. All of them, because they're, you know, people know people who are like themselves, right? So you're having a conversation at a party, somebody's talking about whatever whatever they invested in, and you're like, well, I'm making 12% every month, comes in a check every single month, and, um, and then they're be like, well, see if he needs any more. Man, that sounds good. How long have you been doing it? See if the guy will take another lender. And that's where they all come from. Somebody texts, hey, you looking for another lender? I just got one today that was from an attorney that's doing our closings out of state, and he he writes up the notes and deed of trust, so he knows that the, the, <laughs> he knows cool. everything. And, and he sent me he sent me that he wants to be a lender and uh you know their money's out there because it's a good return and it's secure that's awesome so in terms of the the process i guess what what's your process to finding the right fit of a property and then finding the right buyer so the numbers even if they're none in your market, because I have people all over the country, right? And there's plenty of people who are, we have people in Oregon, we have people in California, we have people everywhere where they're like, there is no houses, you can't buy a parking space for 30 grand. What are you talking about? So we buy out of the area. So I buy in four different states. My main market is where I live. And that's, I have the majority of my houses here. But after this last run up we had during these last three years, 
we can't find. I mean, I, I did close on a couple this month. I got lucky on, but um, most of the time I can't find too many in my local market. So we'll buy in Midwest states. And it's amazing to me. Like I, I, I put blinders on to those areas for so long because I just wanted to be in my market. Right. And then when I finally started looking, I'm like, how does this even exist? We'll buy a house. No exaggeration. Again, you can Google it, you know, the areas for $20,000, a nice ranch, right? In good condition. And then and you look right on Zillow and it'll say the, the rent Zestimate or whatever they call it into 975. I'm like, how is a house that's 20,000 bringing 975 a month? It doesn't make any mathematical sense to me, but it sounds like a hell of an investment. And, um, and so we'll look at these houses and then, but we won't rent them though. We'll sell them with the long-term owner financing. So, cause we don't want to be involved with, you know, fixing stuff. We operate like a bank. So all we do is process payments. First week of the month, we do all the work, we collect everything. And then after that, you know, it's not a whole lot of work till the next month. So one of the things that you've got on, uh, you know, we, we get a marketing package from all of our, uh, all of our guests before and we get to know them a little bit before we bring them out to the, to the public on the show. And um, it, you talked about breaking free and how to hit your freedom number in five to seven years. Now, that's a, that's a very appealing thing for a lot of people. Now, if I was a new person and, and I don't know anything about real estate, how can I become financially free through real estate in just five to seven years? Because real estate is notorious for being right. that, that one industry that just takes forever because so many people rely almost exclusively on appreciation. And as you talked about it, you know, all the way through the mid to late 90s, there was none. Right. So how, how does somebody who hasn't done this actually get in this and start start knocking it out of the park? So it's interesting that you say it takes a long time because most people that aren't interested in my program, it's because other people are pitching, you're going to be rich by next week, right? And um, and then I talk about in my pro, I said, you're not going to, you're not going to, be, you're not going to be making money for five years. And so people that are older, most, you know, people that are, are older that have been doing it for a while, they appreciate five years is nothing. But when you deal with younger people, they're like, no, I want to make money right now. So there's a balance there, but I can tell you exactly. And we've done this for so many people. Like that's why I still do this. And that's why I love it. Cause we set people free. So I'll tell you exactly how. So the first thing we do is we come up with what your freedom number is, right? And we all have different numbers and we make them write down what your ideal day, your ideal life looks like. Car, house, vacations, family, travel, whatever it may be. Then put a number next to it. Simple. I'm sure you've done this exercise before on, you know, in some format. And then we, we make that number a monthly number. So what would it take to live that ideal life you just future visioned yourself, right? On average, on average, most people's number is around $10,000 a month. And um, now we have some that come in at 70, 80 grand. And I'm like, well, you can still do it, but it's going to take you a bit longer, right? Some come in at three and four grand. They're like, well, if I've got four grand a month, I don't have to go to work anymore. So everybody's number is different. But the average, I would say, is $10,000 a month. Well, with $10,000 a month, and I'm using low numbers. Keep in mind, I like to use low numbers because I always rather over deliver than you know make a high promise and not deliver. So I always say you're going to get $500 a month per property, right? Even if it's bringing in nine, I'm like, well, you're going to have a vacancy. You're going to have whatever. Even though We're bringing in a lot more now, but let's still use 500. Well, with $500 a month, that means you need to buy 20 slow flips. And if you get 20 slow flips right now and we work on them for a whole year, you're buying these 20. Then you're not going to make any money for five years in year six now because it took a year to get them. You're at your $10,000 a month, which will probably be 20 because of the actual numbers. But let's say we're just working on those numbers. So, yes, is it a struggle? Yeah, it means I'm working all year this year to acquire these 20 and I'm not making anything. And then I'm going to manage them again still for these next five years and I'm not making anything. But year six, all of a sudden it was all worth it. So 
there's a saying that I love to repeat to people, and it holds true for everything, not just real estate, not just slow flips, but for everything. And I always say, if you do what's easy, life will be hard. And if you do what's hard, life will be easy. And with slow flips, that is taking the hard path. It's easy to just go keep burring. Everybody loves burr. Oh, refi and pull money out and it's free, tax free and keep pulling money out. Yeah, you, you're getting that money and that's real. That's nice and easy. But you're setting yourself up for hard because now you still have all this debt you have to take care of now for 30 more years. Or you struggle through and it's hard. But now 61st month, you're like, I got no more debt. That's mine. The check comes in and I get to keep it. And so, I'm, you know, again, that's just me being beat down by the bust. But I'm ingrained now with free and clear is where our freedom is at. Absolutely. And I, I have to question, I got to bring in the age old question of single family versus multifamily. And from the sounds of it, based on your purchase prices, you are exclusively in single family or am I wrong? I am all single family. I have 178 houses now. They are all single family. There's some duplexes and fourplexes in, but I still sell them as one to an investor. A, a big part, we didn't talk about that. A big part of my buyers are investors. They buy them, fix them up and rent them out section eight or rent them conventionally. And, uh, and so I also have some duplexes and fourplexes, but no actual multifamily. And I'm not against, you know, this is the thing. I'm not against multifamily. I'm not against Burr. I'm not against, you know, all these different things people can do. The short answer I always tell people, I said, there's a million ways to make a million dollars, right? Choose one. Choose one. It doesn't mean that just because I love slow flips means whatever you're doing is wrong, right? A, a, multiple things can work simultaneously. I just, I'm doing what works for me and I'm about free and clear and freedom. Other people are about, you know, Lamborghinis and yachts and, and that's the lifestyle they're chasing. And I'm like, well, then this might not be right for you, right? It, everybody's different. And I, I'm very intrigued by multifamily and I've looked into it a dozen times and I probably will get into it at some time in my life. But in my personal opinion right now, I don't feel it's the right time. And the reason is everybody's doing it. And when everybody's doing anything, I'm like, yeah, that's not what I want to be doing it. <laughs> when, uh, when, it when they start getting out of it, that's when I'm going to look at it. That's a really good point. You know, there's, there's a, uh, you know, I don't know if I would call it a uh, saturation. I don't know if that's the right word for, for what's going on in multifamily right now, but it's probably pretty close. And I know just because that's the game that I'm in, that being able to find halfway decent deals out there is almost next to impossible, which is I've been having these conversations with my wife, who's aka my investing partner about uh, pivoting and going. And she goes, but it feels like you're going backwards. And I'm like, how is it going backwards? It's, it's not going backwards. You, you figure out what works. And, and I, I'm in the same boat with you where you, you figure out what works, you stick to it, you, you're laser focused. But when things change, which they have in the multifamily space, you have to learn how to pivot if you want to continue to grow. And we're still in that growth phase. We're not really in the maintenance phase yet. We're kind of starting to shift that direction. But we are starting to notice that it's time to, you know, figure out where the growth is, you know, and like you said, if 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 multifamily is just you know, the people are frothy for this this real estate market in the multifamily space, it's time to maybe switch off and see something else. We've been looking at ADUs, single families you can add ADUs to, all kinds of different stuff that are as, you know, as creative as we can possibly make it. So I, I agree with that 100 percent. John, did you have a question? I think I started to interrupt you. I <laughs> know you're fine, Kyle. I think that's a, a really fair point. Um. I wanted to ask you about um, kind of doubt. A lot of people might be listening to this and thinking, how do I, you know, do I jump in? What do I do? What should I do? What's the best route? Did, when you formulated this kind of, uh, this kind of approach, was there doubt in your mind? Is it kind of feeling it as it goes and proving it? Or what did that look like? Yeah. So the first five years was an unproven thought in my brain. So I had a lot of doubt. Like I kept like, I'm managing all these houses now and making no money. And I'm like, what am I doing? Is this the right thing? You know, I kept 
kept wondering, am I doing the right thing? And then, you know, again, once you hit the finish line, which now I'm ahead, so I'm able to take other people along behind me. But when I, when I did it, nobody was doing that. And so it was a lot of doubt that why don't I just do this other path, right? Go back to, cause you know, you can go back to banks and go back to conventional lending, even hard money lenders. There's other ways to go. And um, so yeah, tons and tons of doubt. Now, when I have new people coming on board, I'm always telling people, I say, listen, as long as you stick to the numbers, you can get rid of all your doubt. Because if in a month or two or five, you decide this sucks and you don't like it, then sell it to somebody else in the group who, who is embracing the program, right? Because people that are doing slow flips want as many as they can get. So I'm like, so if you did it for a month and you were like, oh, I don't like this, then just tell somebody else who's doing slow flips, hey, you want to take over this one? And they'll be more than happy to do it. And um, so I don't have the doubt anymore, clearly. I mean, we've, we've way out, outgrown that, but I definitely did. My first five years, I, um, I had a lot of conversations with myself. You know, what, what am I doing? I got all these houses and I'm not making any money. But, you know, that's the, that's the struggle. And then you get through year, year six, you get to year six, and all of a sudden now you get collect every month and you get to keep it. I'm curious about the timeframes during that five years financially. I know this is going to be a question that probably a lot of our listeners are wondering. Um, you've mentioned more than once that you're not really making any money in the five years. So, so just out of curiosity, how do you live? You know, how do you make I still those payments? I still, okay, wholesale. Gotcha. I still okay. wholesale. I still wholesale to this day. And mostly, I, I mean, back then I did it at need. I, I love wholesaling. I enjoy the business. Um, I, I do it very different than most people do. I do everything different than most people do. You know, everybody, is, everybody now is teaching, oh, scaling and VAs and marketing campaigns. And I'm a one-man band. Since 2013, I've been all completely on my own. My wife answers the phone, so I shouldn't say on my own. You work with your wife as well. My wife Absolutely. answers the phone and sets the appointments. I go on the appointments. I buy the house. I text people. I sell it. No crazy softwares, no crazy programs. And um, and we do really well. Even And I don't do a lot of deals, mind you. I used to do a lot of deals. I used to have a, a business like everyone teaches to do now. Buyers and sellers and coordinators and all kinds of stuff going on. I did more deals than ever and I made less money than ever. Now I dabble and I jokingly call it dabbling. I'm like, I might do one deal in a month. I might do three. I sometimes do no deals in a month. I did a deal closed, not last month, the month before, my biggest in my life, $250,000 on an assignment fee. But the difference is now the money I make is all mine. Where before I, I, I would do all these deals, they go in the account and I got to pay all these employees and pay all this marketing campaign and pay all this overhead. Now I do a deal and it's mine. Has simplification been a conscious choice? Like is that a yes. direct outcome of the recession or what's yes. been the driver? Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't simplify right away. I simplified in 2013. Um, and, and I always remember it was 2013. It was 10 years ago this month. I, um, I went away for a month in July, my first time doing a month long trip. And now I do them all the time, but I, my first time doing a month long trip, I went to Panama for a month. And when you have a month and mind you back then the phones didn't work everywhere. I had bought a Panamanian phone when I was there, but our phones didn't work. And um, you have a lot of time to think, right? You have a month, you have a lot of time to think. And one of the things I realized is that I don't work for my employee. I, I don't, my employees don't work for me. I work for them. I'm like, I'm doing deals to keep everybody employed. If I didn't have a deal, if I don't want to lose my contract, I'll do a, a marginal or a deal I'm not even going to make anything on because I want to keep everybody working, right? I'm saying yes to deals I wouldn't have said yes to for my buyers because he, uh, he did the appointment. I can still make something. And I realized I'm just keeping everybody employed and I'm not making the money. And when I got back, I literally... This was 2013, July 16th, 2013. I got rid of everybody. And I've been on my own ever since. And I do a fraction of the deals I used to do, but I make way more money. 
and I don't work much. I mean, I sometimes like t- today I had no appointments. Tomorrow I have two appointments. So, I, you know, I have a, a 12 and a 1.30 tomorrow or a 12 and a 2 tomorrow. And that's it. Um, you know, and some days I have none. Some some weeks I'll have none, you know, and then I get a couple of good leads and I'll go on appointments and I can do one deal or two deals. And, you know, we make good spreads, but I don't have to split it up or share it. Um, you know, simplification. I, it's it's just mine. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. You're building yeah. that 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 lifestyle that's the American dream. And I, I salute you for that. I think that's wonderful. So I'm curious, what's uh, first of all, we'd really like to talk about the uh, Master Investor Academy and uh, and what it is that you're doing with that and uh, kind of explain the program a little bit and how it works with the people who join and um, just, and kind of what's next for you, if you can give us some kind of a lowdown. Well, so what's next for me, and I'd rather actually share this than the Master Investor Academy, is I, I've recently just written a new book that I'm not sure if I told you about already. It's called The Art of the Slow Flip. And I was telling you guys beforehand, I have I have 250 right now, but I have um, free copies for anybody who's listening that wants one. It basically goes over the entire process from start to finish on exactly how to do it. And so that's the easiest way. I always tell people, people are like, well, how do I get started? How do I get it? I said, don't even try and get in a group and don't try and get started. Start reading. And um, and the shipping and handling, I think, is $7.95. And anybody who wants one can get one. Just go to slowflip.com, S-L-O-W-F-L-I-P.com. And that, to me, is the best way to get started. I, you know, again, I dropped out of high school in 11th grade. And I never read a book in my life till I got interested in something, which was real estate. And that's really all I read is real estate. But I always, I'm always curious about people who don't read because I'm like, you have a person, right, who've who been doing something 10, 20, 30, 50 years, and they're an expert at something, whatever that may be. When they write a book, that's their best stuff. They're not going to write a book and not put their best stuff in. I'm like, so they have their best stuff, and you can get it for 20, 30 bucks or whatever it may be, $7.95 in this case for shipping and handling. And I'm like, so people who don't take advantage of that, I'm like, you're missing the boat. This is the best stuff. And, um, and so... I try and tell people that's where I want you to start. If somebody was telling me right now, I want to do this or I want to be in your group or I want, I don't really want them to until they know what it even is we do. Otherwise, they're going to get in and say, oh, that's not what I thought it was. Right. And so that's where I really like people to start is read the book. We go through every detail from start to finish. And some people will read it and hate it. That, that, you know, some, what I mean by hate it is not hate the book, but they'll hate the idea of slow flips. And the reason is some people, and I, and I don't know um, your rental. I know you do apartments. I'm not sure what you have, John. Um, some people love their houses. Like I used to love mine prior to the bust. Like you take care of it. You have pride in it. You painted the door. You picked out that fixture. And it's your house and you love it, right? Those people that still love their houses will not like slow flips. And the reason is with slow flips, we don't have that pride of ownership. The guy we sold it to has that pride of ownership, right? We are just the bank. And and so some people hate that. They're like, no, I don't want to lose my houses. When a friend of mine recently, I was talking to him about converting his rentals to slow flips. And his, I'll never forget his answer because it was crazy to me. He says, well, with my luck, they'll all end up buying them. And I'm like, yeah, that would be awesome because we sell at super retail. I'm like, if yeah, and no agent commissions, no fixing them up. Yes, that would be awesome. You would take that money and buy twice as many. But, you know, but if you love your house, they're going to hate it. And that's why I think that's always the best place to start read the book, The Art of the Slow Flip, and it goes through detail, detail, detail. And then the people it resonates with, those people will love it. And then there's going to be people who will be like, Scott's out of his mind. I want the Lamborghini and I want to have my houses for the rest of my life. And it's not going to resonate with them. And that's okay. I'd rather it be that way. 
love that. That was a long answer to a short question, huh? No, I think I think that's really really fair. And can you so in terms of then pivoting from the or moving from the book to to working directly with you, what does that look like? So we have a program that it's called the Freedom Accelerator Program, and I do. We have a we have a limited group in there that we do meetings once a week. We have it. It's a it's a community as well as. Um, coaching as well as all the courses. So we're constantly updating and changing as things change. I also meet, like I have this attorney who I went, I went out to dinner with when I was in St. Louis because he's doing everybody's closings. And, um, and so I interviewed him for them. I asked them, give me a list of questions you have about the laws out there. And so we, we asked him and now he's like our exclusive attorney out there. And I, in different areas, we have multiple states where I try to I try and keep the group as a whole investing in the same markets because now we have inf- infrastructure. When you just pick, like, if you're thinking, I'm in Oregon, I'm not going to invest out in, in Illinois, right? Well, I agree with you. I wouldn't either. But if I have 50 other people who are, and we have a guy who's putting on lockboxes, and a guy who's doing pictures and videos, and a guy who's doing the closings, and a guy who's filling them, and your job is basically just finding the deal, then it's no longer that crazy fear of what am I doing going to some strange place. And so I try and put everybody together. We are, It's really turned into be a great group that... Um, they are all working together. It's not just me, you know, and that's what I wanted when we started. I didn't want it to be the Scott show where it's all Scott all the time. Right. And it hasn't been that way. They've been doing great working together and they're doing a lot of deals, which is why I enjoy it so much. Scott, how can people reach out to you? So the, the best way, obviously, like I said, I like people to start off by reading the book. Um, however, if they want, if somebody had a question or wanted to read out, reach out to me, I'm on, literally every social including the new one that just came out today or yesterday threads yeah (laughs) and and it's all under my own name um you know i'm on everything tiktok and twitter and linkedin and youtube and facebook and now thread and instagram and and uh and they're all under my name so that's the easiest way you can just type in scott jelen if you don't need any fancy uh any fancy names or numbers it's just my name we'll put some links in the in the um show notes of this so that people can did you did you sign up for the new one yet I did, and then I read that we're going to have to create a new account to sign up for the investories. Oh, yeah, okay. More I just do everything under my own name. Yeah. 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 Kyle's like, oh, damn it. I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just made my first post on it right while I was waiting to come on with you guys. I was sitting go. here, and I made, my, I made my very first post on there. What was it? Take that, Elon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, when I post, typically it's this, it's almost the same content on all all platforms. Certain people watch and look certain different ones. Uh, so you, we need to follow you just just for tips, Scott. Well, you know, and, and what I do, some you know, again, like I told you, some people hate it, but what I do is almost I tell people I used to do live events and I stopped about a year ago, and I always tell people I say, well, what I'm going to teach you is literally going to be a hundred percent the opposite of what everyone else. If you've been to, been to other live events, it's the opposite of what they've taught you, and. Um, and so I said, that makes you, that makes your questions easy to answer. When you ask, think about that guy would have said, mine's the opposite answer. <laughs> there you go. I think that's words to live by. I love that. Uh, yeah. S- Scott, thank you so much for your time today. We really do appreciate it. And, uh, and the candid conversation, it's always fun to have someone on who's uh, Thank you who's for having me on. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And we'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.